Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Tensions are rising in Chicago's city council. The city's scrapping plans to build another migrant tent camp, this one in Morgan Park, because of a, quote, lack of urgency, end quote, while officials look for alternative housing options. Now, this comes days after Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker shut down construction of a winterized migrant camp in Brighton Park over environmental concerns. And council members are calling for the resignation of seven city officials. The aldermen say those Johnson administration officials shouldn't have pushed forward construction on known toxic land. Now, we spoke with WBEZ city government and politics reporter Tessa Weinberg to make sense of the news. Now, Tessa started off by telling us why the city scrapped plans for a migrant tent camp in Morgan Park. So our colleague Juan Pablo Ramirez Franco, you know, was reporting that um, the mayor's office said, you know, there's really no immediate plans now to use this this vacant land that has a former vacant Julosco grocery store in Morgan Park for a base camp. Um, they cited really, you know, a lack of urgency um, to house migrants. You know, the Brighton Park uh, site was scrapped. That was related to environmental concerns. And the city has, you know, been vacating police stations mm-hmm. um, and they've been looking at other options. For example, the state is helping um, the city with a uh, former CVS in Little Village to make that a shelter. Um, and so it seems like they're, you know, maybe moving away from the space camp idea a little bit. Really? Yeah, lack of urgency is throwing mm-hmm. me off. I mean, we've got tens of thousands of people who need shelter. So what right. do they mean, lack of urgency? Yeah, I think, you know, they see maybe this, you know, that the, if there's a dip in arrivals, that maybe there's less, you know, pressure to maybe quickly stand some of these things up. But, you know, I think there is, you know, concern that, you know, States like Texas are not going to stop anytime soon sending folks and Mm -hmm. that, you know, maybe we will see a resurgence and that there needs to be kind of infrastructure in place. Um, But, you know, it it will see if this land, you know, is going to kind of just sit empty for a little bit. You know, the city did purchase this land. It was kind of donated from Albertsons and it is eventually slated to be redeveloped into this uh, mixed, you know, retail housing development. Um, But when the city acquired this land, it was initially to be used as a migrant shelter. And there was provisions, um, you know, basically assured and put into that ordinance um, to assure that it wouldn't be used as a migrant shelter uh, starting in November 2024. So, you know, they still have kind of, you know, until then um, to to maybe start those plans. So mm-hmm. I think it remains to be seen, you know, is it just on pause? Is it, you know, scrapped totally? And right. I think some of that we'll, we'll see. And as you said, they, they're looking at other options, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So the, um, you know, when the Brighton Park site was um, stopped by the state, um, the state noted they're going to more quickly work with the city to open up a former little village, a former CVS in Little Village as a brick and mortar shelter and that they're looking at other sites. I think, you know, immediately the next thought was, well, is that Morgan Park site that was also slated for a base camp going to be on deck? Seems like now it's not. Um, so I think there's a lot of questions of, you know, are our base camps off the table? Are we going to prioritize brick and mortar then going forward? Um, and it seems like, well, we'll have to see, you know, how the city just continues to adapt. And we also have those, you know, 60 day shelter stay notices mm-hmm. coming up where people are going to start to be, 
you know, kind of forced out of shelters, it seems. And so it, it seems like the emphasis is really getting people into housing and just out of the city's shelter system you know, overall. Yeah. And as I, as I mentioned, this is coming on the heels of Governor Pritzker shutting down that migrant camp mm-hmm. in Brighton Park. Remind us what exactly happened there with the environmental concerns. Yeah. So, um, you know, the this was former industrial land, has a history of industrial use. And there was a lot of concerns from neighbors, from environmental advocates about, you know, people living there um, and, you know, what the quality of that that land looked like. And so the city had undergone a, an environmental assessment um, and they found that, um, you know, there was this nearly 800 page report done by a, a city hired consultant that found there was mercury, other contaminants, um, and they had, you know, deposited some of that soil in the landfill, put a, a six inch uh, layer of stone over the land. And the city said, you know, that is those steps are going to make it safe for temporary you know, residential use. But then the state came in, um, you know, Illinois Environmental Protection Agency did their this own kind of, you know, review and looked at the analysis that had been done. And, um, you know, they kind of really publicly, you know, rebuked the work the city had done and said, this is not thorough enough and the time it's going to take to address, you know, some of these other questions and concerns we have and make this land viable mm-hmm. would be too long. So we're going to move forward with these other options. Instead. You've also, you've reported that there's been tension among city council members over that decision, right? Not just between the city and state. So, I mean, what's going on in-house at yeah. the city level? Mm-hmm. So some council members, you know, I talked to um, last week when, um, you know, hearing the reactions, um, you know, for example, Alderman Hall, you know, felt like this was kind of a bait and switch from the state of, you know, if, if you're going to support us in these endeavors and provide funding, you know, make sure you give us, you know, the guidelines at the start. I mean, he felt like there was just kind of a, a disconnect between the state, you know, helping the city and then saying, actually, you know, there was these guidelines you needed to know about. And so he was, you know, critical of them in that sense. Other alder persons, though, for example, alder person Andre Vasquez, he had long opposed, you know, this the city using these, you know, base camps and housing people in these winterized tents. And so he said, you know, he thinks the state made the right call um, by not moving forward on this. And that, you know, for him, it does raise other questions, though, about, you know, how much money did we sink into the cost of just, you know, starting to, you know, to build these these base camps already on the site? You know, construction was already underway. Um, while others, for example, Alderperson Carlos Ramirez Rosa, who's an ally of Mayor Brandon Johnson's, you know, he, you know, said he was very diplomatic in his response, but did note at the end he felt, you know, this is the the second mayor that um, the governor has butted heads with. And he kind of suggested who is the common denominator there. Hmm. Um, meanwhile, there's, you know, even some pushback from a few uh, conservative alder persons who are, like you mentioned in the intro, um, you know, calling on the mayor to, you know, take some action and um, to have members of his administration who are, you know, heavily working on the response um, to housing asylum seekers calling for their resignation. Yeah. So it's, you know, blame game, I think, continuing. Wow, in all lots kinds of, of fingers being pointed yes. and, and Speaking of the mayor, what have we heard from him on on all of this this back and forth here with the migrant tent camps? Yeah, we haven't, you know, had the a formal press conference since then, so we haven't had a chance to really press him. But you know, he was caught at a a, a gaggle just after an event um, the day the state announced the the news on Brighton Park, and you know, he kind of said, you know, the mission continues. Our our goal is still the same to house folks. No one wants people sleeping outside. Uh, and he, you know, the the mayor's administration though that same day, you know, did point the finger back at the state, saying, you know, they knew we were moving forward on this environmental um, you know, study. They should have provided us what guidelines up front. And they allege that the state was the one that told the contractor to, you know, move forward even while the analysis was underway. So 
So Tessa, city council members are gathering this week for a regular session. So what are they going to talk about? Yeah, the you know big thing on deck is the Chicago Police Department's you know contract. There's also the um, agreement you know regarding you know arbitration for how disputes are resolved. That I think will be the main agenda item where we'll see lots of debate. Um, there are some you know this will also be the first time that new um, rules for. Uh, how the public can attend meetings and comment are going to be in place. And we're going to see on deck likely um, an amendment to expanded paid leave regulations that were passed that's going to actually delay that start date. So those are some of the the kind of top level highlights. Yeah, there was discussion over who can and can't sit in on city council meetings. Catch us up here. There's a new policy, right? Yeah. So the rules, um, you know, that our colleague Mariah Wolfel, she was the first to report on these. And now they are, you know, formally publicly posted. And it kind of lays out, you know, what she had already reported on that. You know, if you want to basically be one of the select folks that can actually sit in the second floor, um, I guess you call it kind of the gallery. Um, it's the main, you know, all the seats that are right behind where city council members sit. Normally mm-hmm. that's open to the public. Anyone can sit there. Um, now those need to be reserved in advance. And to even have a seat on the main floor, you can get like, to present a, you know, city or state or school ID um, to be able to even sit there. And then the third floor gallery um that still has act, you know, people can still comment from there. There's a microphone, um, but it's completely walled off with glass. You know, it's, it's less direct access. If you're up there mm. and, you know, have something to say or shouting during a meeting, you know, from the floor, you can't really hear it. That right. will be open to anyone. So well, it's kind of prompted these tears. the change. Yeah. You know, the recent city council meetings, you know, in the fall, they've really become very heated. There's been a lot of unruly public comment from, you know, all different kinds of groups of folks attending. And there's been even a couple of meetings where, gotten so rowdy that the the public you know seating area the chamber has had to be you know vacated and cleared and you know members of the public were not even allowed to sit in on the meeting mm-hmm. um and so because of these really tense just heated you know meetings where comments are flying and it's um you know i think all the persons argue sometimes it's hard to just get the business of the day done um the the city has been i think exploring ways to you know try to achieve both to ensure people can still come and participate but that also it's respectful right um but you know groups like the better government association you know really called out this policy saying this is you know really highly unusual virtually unheard of and you know that the city hall needs to be open you know it's a public building you know all the persons are the public officials yeah that they need to be public members of the public need to have a seat at the table there and so it'll be interesting to see how this you know actually plays out we've seen in some of the committee hearings you know all the persons reading these rules and so this will be the first city full city council meeting where they're actually in play yeah well, bring us up to speed, if you will, on the Chicago Police Department contract. What what are they likely to change with that? Yeah, so um, Alderpersons, um, you know, approved the portion of the contract that is basically the, the contract itself, you know, and it, that would have annual pay raises for rank and file police officers, increasing those um, from two and a half to five percent. Um, and then, you know, later on, um, those pay raises would also, um, you know, there'd be other pay raises depending on cost of living. It also gives um, one-time $2,500 retention bonuses to all officers, regardless of seniority. And then there's other things, like there's an initiative that's aimed at helping reduce um, homicide clearance rates. So that portion of the contract, um, you know, was approved in committee, going to be up for a vote. Um, however, all the persons, um, you know, voted against this arbitration agreement um, and that, you um, was you know separated out from from the the rest of the actual contract extension. Uh, city council voted last Thursday against allowing police officers to contest firings and suspensions behind closed doors. How did this work before? Like how did 
cops contesting serious discipline cases work mm-hmm. in, in the past? Yeah. So so we understand how it could change. Yeah. So this was a ruling that basically will allow the union, like you said, to contest these firings and suspensions. And it'd be those that are longer than 365 days in arbitration. So the less severe discipline that mm-hmm. already can go through arbitration. And so currently, you know, the Chicago Police Board, they, they make these final decisions on these more serious discipline cases. It's a nine member civilian panel. They have these hearings um, and, you know, the hearings are open to the public. The decisions are made public. An analysis by our colleague Chip Mitchell found that since 2016, um, the police board has fired the officer or the officer has resigned in 62 percent of those completed cases in which the superintendent recommended discharge. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas arbitration, though, differs in a lot of respects that instead of this panel, it's a single arbitrator assigned to each case. Um, and that arbitrator is chosen, you know, with input and agreement from the police union. Um, and Chip, you know, was reporting that in arbitration, the police union tends to fare pretty well. Right. Um, and that in more than 78 percent, uh, the punishment was reduced or eliminated usually by an arbitrator. Um, and the arbitrator, um, you know, in those cases, it's, it's, you know, less public. There's usually, you know, no notice of a, you know, discipline case. Um, you know, the hearings close to the public. You can maybe file, you know, an open records request while those records are still hidden. So I they're, see. you know, very different, you know, processes where one is much more public and the other is, you know, shrouded a lot more in secrecy. Uh, and while I have you just update us on this, businesses may get more concessions in a, a recent amendment to delay the paid leave expansion. What do we know there? Yeah, so these were, um, you know, paid leave expansions that were passed um, in the fall that would give workers 10 days of paid leave. Um, originally, those were set to go into effect at the end of this month, December 31st, so the new year. Essentially, workers could start accruing those. Um, but City Council uh, last week passed an amendment that would actually delay implementation till July 2024 as a concession to businesses who were saying, you know, this is not enough time for us to get up to speed with this, mm-hmm. um, especially for a lot of small business owners, the business groups alleged of, you know, who don't have big HR departments or things like that. There's also another concession to businesses where employers will now have a window of time, um, 16 days or two pay periods, whichever is lesser, to fix any alleged violations before a lawsuit could commence. And, you know, alderpersons also raise the bar for which employees can even, you know, qualify to accrue paid leave instead of, oh, really? um, you know, two hours of work in a certain time period. Now employees have to work 80 hours in a roughly four month period to be able to accrue the expanded pay time off. So they're kind of walking back some of these expansions right. and they had promised, you know, when they passed this, they were committed to working with, you know, business groups on, on making this more feasible for them. But yeah, so this is all going to get delayed a little bit. Ooh, busy week. Yes. Yeah. Tessa Weinberg is a city government and politics reporter for WBEZ. Thank you so much for the breakdown. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This episode was produced by Brenda Ruiz, who edited the episode along with Meha Ahmed. If you like the episode, we host conversations every weekday on Reset, live on 91.5 FM or through your favorite smart speaker. You can also view our full catalog of interviews by visiting wbez.org slash reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.